Hello, everyone, and welcome to At WCSU, the podcast that dives deep on Western Connecticut State University. I'm Paul Steinmetz here with Pete Puccio, and today we're going to bring you a talk with the Teacher of the Year here at WestCon, and we'll also introduce you to one of our new student co-hosts, Bianca Wynn, who nice. uh, will talk about herself and what she does and what she's going to bring to this podcast. Yeah, and I'm just going to apologize in advance for sitting here staring at the camera like a smiling chipmunk because this is really weird for me to actually be on camera. I'm usually kind of hiding in the dark in the other room. So uh, That's right. apologies to any listeners who are put off <laughs> or you'll, viewers, I suppose. Yeah, you'll so. notice that uh, Pete has a really great radio voice, but he's never been on camera before. Oh, thanks, Paul. You're welcome. It's your, weird. Your voice is better than mine, actually, on uh, the recording, I think. That's right. <laughs> <clears throat> but my voice is better than everybody else's. So there you it's go. okay. Yeah. yeah, it's like a two-tier thing. So that's right. Cool. Yeah, it was it was neat having Bianca on. I thought she was great. And uh Professor, Doctor she's Professor, not Doctor. She right? is Doctor. Oh, Doctor Jimanka. Sorry. Um that was great. I yes. uh, I saw her speak at the opening meeting, but it was neat to kind of go on a on a sort of a deeper dive and a more um where you were able to, to Having a conversation and not just be her, her delivering sort of a speech. So exactly. Cool. She's a very uh, warm person who uh, cares about her students, you can tell. Yeah. Which doesn't always come across in a, a speech. But she has a great background, which we'll hear about. She's a uh, – I didn't really write it down, but I think she's a biology professor. And uh, You better hope so. <laughs> yeah. And has been here since 2016. And – cares about students and as you'll hear her research which she still does is in some kind of thing that mostly i can't pronounce it rolls off her tongue and she understands what it is and is someday going to be very famous for that but right now she's famous here at westcon for being a great teacher yeah and she was uh, incredibly patient and tolerant as everything was falling down around me as i was trying to set up for today and as i was putting out fires and leaning over everybody and stuff she was she was great so thank you to uh Dr. Jamaica for that. Yeah. We cut all yeah. that part out. Yeah, exactly. It's seamless when you see <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, perfect. Yes. Yep. As usual. Yeah. So should we go right to our interview with Dr. Kristen Jamaica? Let's go. Okay. Dr. Jamanko, you were recognized with the Provost Teaching Award at WCSU, that goes to a professor who's really good in the classroom, connecting with students, explaining things, and helping them learn. I, as I was preparing for this podcast, I found that your own um, research that you do, your scholarly research, is uh, in understanding how a particular cell cycle gene cyclin D2, modulates progenitor proliferation in the embryonic mouse brain. And another project is developing cell culture models to better understand the structure and assembly of the perineuronal net, a specialized substructure of the neuronal extracellular matrix. So my question is, how do you translate that to students in the classroom so that they aren't sobbing by the end of every class? Right. Well, I can't guarantee that. But <laughs> uh, to speak to the, sort of the former project, the cell cycle project, that's something I did when I was a postdoc 
um, a couple years before I came here. And so we did delve into those topics in both cell and developmental biology, the upper level majors courses that I'm responsible for teaching. So I'm allowed in that in that sort of framework to be able to talk to students about cutting edge research, the most recent technology that individuals are using at the bench, and then present results and talk about even a technique that I used to use as a graduate student. And so it bridges that gap between research, which can be sort of esoteric and mysterious, and brings it into the classroom in sort of digestible, tangible, sort of tractable little stories. And so it, it makes research, it sort of demystifies it and helps students realize, hey, I can actually do that as well, or maybe I'm interested in, in exploring that. And the second project that you mentioned about the neuronal extracellular matrix, that was something I worked on as a graduate student. And so my work was um, specifically geared towards understanding the molecular components mm -hmm. of those structures. So then to speak to that, I developed a four-week exercise for cell biology students where they actually do an experiment very similar to what I did. And so they plate cells that they isolated from the mouse brain. They can use antibodies to mark proteins, and then they can use fluorescence microscopy. So that was something I didn't get to do as a student, but I think for our population of, of individuals, it's critically important because they're seeing then they can actually do an experiment like a graduate student or a postdoctoral uh, fellow or um, individual would do. And so I think it presents a really nice opportunity for them to say, hey, I did this as an undergrad and I saw it from start mm -hmm. to finish. Right. As you say, a lot of our professors do uh, help our undergraduate students do graduate level work, uh, which is one of the great aspects about Westcon, really. Exactly. And I have two research students working with me right hmm. now, sort of furthering that um, probing cell culture models. And so they're very enthusiastic. They're great. I've had them in, in cell biology, and I have them currently. So I think it's it's a really great opportunity for them to spend more time probing that. And, you know, in the trials and tribulations of working at the bench, something's always going to not work, but can you figure out how to make it work? And can you figure out why it didn't mm. work? And I think that is something that students need to see if they're interested in research or even just to sort of get in life experience in, in doing. Right. It's the whole thing about being a lifelong learner, right? You got to figure out problems. Exactly. And there's always going to be problems. And I tell them that. I don't want to like sort of tell them, oh, everything's going to work the first time. And my graduate work the first year or so was just wall after wall, but then sort of something hit and we it, the project took off. And, you know, I think being comfortable with a little bit of adversity and being a little bit uncomfortable at, at times can, can actually help and it builds character, but also reinforces that that's what you want to do with your life. So if, if that's something that, you know, you're interested in, and I think the only way to get there is to have that experience. And right. I want to help our students get that experience. Are these students in the 300 level courses thinking about becoming scientists or going into the medical bio field? Yeah, we actually have a lot of students that are thinking about veterinary school, medical school, some want to go on for master's programs, some aren't sure. And to me, that's the population I want to reach because I want them to figure out, yes, they might want to do this or no, I might not want to do this, but I want to do this instead. So I think it's important for those that are sort of in between trying to figure it out that we present many different opportunities for them to figure out what they want to do because we don't want our students getting sent off and sort of still unsure, sort of waiting mm -hmm. in the job pool. We want them to have trajectory and a real focus. And so if they can get it from my course or a colleague's course, like that's wonderful. And we can help them sort of pick a direction. Mm -hmm.
So in high school and college, were you one of the geniuses in class? Oh, uh, no, that is for sure. So in, in high school, I actually was sort of just a student that took, you know, all my regular classes. I took a few AP courses, but um, it wasn't until college that it really sort of, you know, okay, this is where I want to go. But I was surrounded in college by a lot of very smart individuals. So I wouldn't say I was a genius of any of any kind, but I really liked biology and I had very supportive staff and I did some research experience. Mm. And the next logical step for me was to go to, to grad school. And I think something I tell our students now when I was an undergrad, it was very linear. Like, you know, you went to undergrad, you went to grad school, you did a postdoc, you went to academia. But nowadays there's all kinds of different uh, realms that one can enter, like scientific writing. There's a lot of individuals that go on to get masters in public health and focus in epidemiological issues. And so I think it's an exciting time to be a scientist, to figure out, or a biology student rather, to figure out where you want to go and all the different explorations. But it can be daunting for a student to think about that. And so I try to sit with my advisees or even students that I know in the classroom and and, and walk them through how I got to where I got and then tell them to talk about with other colleagues in my department because not everyone has the same quote unquote story. They may have taken different path. And I think it's important to hear the different paths that one can, can really take. Mm -hmm. And you, I've heard you talk about your path to teaching uh, started young. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So my mother was a high school teacher. She was very invested. I mean, she was probably the most dedicated um educator that I've ever seen. She was just like always working on weekends, making phone calls to parents because, mm. you know, when you're in high school, you you interact or communicate with the, the students' uh, parents. But she instilled in me just this like love of learning and academia. And then I had a, a seventh grade biology teacher that was like kind of quirky, wasn't the traditional um, uh, teacher, but really just took me under her wing, so to speak, and talked to me about grad school and getting a master's and being a woman in science and pursuing your dreams and, and, you know, being okay with, you know, forging that, that path. And so I think it led nicely into when I went to college, most of the faculty there were incredibly supportive and, you know, they f helped me find research opportunities, even when there weren't ones in my institution mm. itself. And they were just, you know, they never said, oh, you can't do this. You can't do that. It was very much like, go for it, give it a shot. And I think that attitude I try to bring into my own, mm -hmm. into my own classroom. And then when I was doing my grad, grad school work and then I went to postdoc, I was sort of stuck. I was like, what do I, what am I going to do? And then I became an adjunct. And I think that's when it really sort of solidified my interest in, in academia. And I think that experience helped me, you know, get the job here and helped me sort of be ready to go and not sort of overwhelmed when I first started, mm -hmm. which can happen, of course. Sure. It's interesting, though, that you, you love the science, but you love the teaching, too. I mean, you don't necessarily have to love the teaching, right? You can go into other areas. Right. I think for me, like, I I do genuinely enjoy interacting with students, hearing their questions, and, and just being in their presence and having them, like, they think about things in different ways that I don't, and they, especially in my classes now, they're asking such great integrative questions that I maybe wouldn't have thought about myself, or they're thinking about it from a different angle, and that drives me then to do a better job for the students. And so it's dynamic. It's like kind of like electric. It's such mm -hmm. a great in environment, especially in the upper level classes, because mm -hmm. it's smaller, you get more, um, you get to know your students uh, a bit more. And that's where I have the most experience, of course. Yeah. Plus, you know, I mean, they are, mo many of them love the science too. It's not a 
general course. Of course, yeah. And so our students, I think they're very dedicated, they're very committed, and I I just enjoy every semester something different, mm -hmm. and I think about different ways to present things, and especially being back in, in person now, it's it's sort of, it's a great, it's a great environment. Mm -hmm. Don't I remember from your story that you forced your younger sister to uh, play school with you and... I did, and to this day, she probably hates me. <laughs> She's a totally opposite. But anybody, so it was her, cats, stuffed animals. Sometimes I would just talk to myself, and mm -hmm. I had like an attendance book with all kinds of names, and of course, nobody uses those anymore. But yeah. um, anything that I could like mimic a school environment, mm -hmm. like reading, I, and I never really taught science, obviously, when I was a little kid. So it was like reading or talking about, I don't know, social studies, whatever. Whatever I was learning at the time in school, I would sort of translate to my classroom, if mm -hmm. you will. And the, um, how did you end up at, here at Westcon? So after I was a, I was postdoc for about five years or so, and I was trying to think about the next step, and I was adjuncting, as I mentioned, and I started just applying to local schools because I grew up in Westchester County, so I wanted to stay somewhat local, and I really appreciated that Westcon offered research experiences for students, but also was really focused on teaching. And it was small enough where you could feel like you could make mm. a difference because mm -hmm. I went to a small undergrad and that's where I really thrived. You know, to teach to 300 people is a different dynamic than teaching to 30. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted a small school, but I also really wanted to, uh, you know, find something local that I could, you know, really stay there for forever. Mm -hmm. And so I applied and when I came, I could just sense that this was the place, right? The faculty were, and the colleagues were, were wonderful. They were friendly. They answered all my questions. It just seemed like a really good fit. And then I was, you know, offered the job in 2016, and I've been here ever since, and I'm, I'm very happy. I just yeah. I couldn't, couldn't be happier. And you've got tenure, and you're a full professor, right? Associate. Associate professor. Hopefully someday full professor. But, yeah, so I did get tenure and promoted last May, which seems like a million years ago yeah. at this point. But. <laughs> no, but that's good. You mentioned uh, the seventh grade teacher who uh, talked about women in science. How has your journey been in the whole science area? So that's an interesting question because obviously in high school you have, you know, yeah. um, all kinds of individuals in the room. But when I went to college, I went to a women's college. So really there... Everybody was, you know, focused. Everybody was, you know, um, everyone was female. I mean, there were some males that took courses there, of course. Mm -hmm. But so it really gave me the platform to just go for it and not have to worry about, you know, being one woman in the room and the rest were, were men. And mm -hmm. so there, most of our professors were women as well. And so they just said, you know, here's the place to do it. Here's the place to focus. And don't, don't let any out, sort of outside circumstances influence you. And so I never really felt uncomfortable there because everybody was sort of in the same um, situation. Mm -hmm. And then when I went to grad school, I was in a predominantly female hmm. lab with a male uh, principal investigator, but he never made us feel anything different. He really, you know, supported us in every way. I still work with him. I still collaborate with him. And then when I was a postdoc, I worked for a female principal investigator and she was very, you know, very, um, you know, a fan of empowering us and giving us the ability to sort of take control of our project and and not second guess what we were doing. So I, I really had a very seamless, you know, uh, 
sort of experience and nobody ever felt me feel help made me feel less or made me feel concerned about you know being a woman in, in science and so I, I'm thankful for that experience those yeah. experiences no kidding because not everybody has that no exactly <clears throat> so I recognize how sort of um, how difficult it could be if you don't have that support and I had it at every level nobody ever even my family like they never said oh you should be doing something different it was always like go for it and my dad is probably like besides my husband is like my biggest fan in terms of like you know you're doing great and you're doing amazing thing you're doing what you always wanted mm -hmm. and um sort of like you need, need a little bit of like cheerleaders kind of in your life especially nowadays it's always helpful to have that like you know background noise of like you're doing awesome you're doing great keep going yeah that's good you don't roll your eyes at them then sometimes i do i'm gonna be honest <laughs> more than sometimes but yeah. yes because after a while you know it's just like okay but no i'm very grateful to have such a wonderful support system yeah. and my colleagues as well like everyone mm -hmm. is so great and if you have any questions they're always there and if they don't know the answer they find someone to help you so i feel very lucky in, in our in my department as well mm. it's good you know and you talked about supporting students and answering the questions not making them feel bad uh several years ago the uh second in command from the national science foundation came here to for a you know, make uh, do a lecture. And she was saying she was the first woman in her position. She was the top scientist and the second to th top scientist in the country. And she was saying, you know, when she started in school, I forget where it was, but she was a science major of some kind. And the professors were trying to uh, get rid of as many students as possible showing them how hard it was. They couldn't finish it. They were trying to winnow out to get the best of the best. And she succeeded through that. But uh, she, that helped change her approach. You don't have to do that. You need to be supportive. Then you get more people who love science, who are working in the field. It sounds like you're thinking along the same lines. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you obviously want the best group of students possible. I totally understand that sentiment, but I don't think we're really doing anybody any justice if we're dissuading students from asking questions, if we're stifling their sort of curiosity or telling them that it's too hard. Because as myself, like you asked earlier, if I was like a genius, I really wasn't, I just worked hard. And mm -hmm. so if someone had just sort of said, oh, well, you don't have a natural aptitude for that, sorry, next student, I probably would have you know, not been where I am today. So That's to right. me, there could be students out there that just need a little extra support, a mm -hmm. little extra confidence booster, but they're actually really good or they can, you know, turn into great students. They might need a little bit of refinement. But to me, like, I don't see any point in preventing or inhibiting or hampering a student's development. Like, why would I? I wouldn't want to do that because mm -hmm. I, nobody did that to me. And so I try to mimic again how I was taught and, and the support system I had for our students. And especially nowadays, everybody needs that extra level of support and and i want my students to feel when they walk in the room that i'm confident that everybody in there can do it mm -hmm. and they can do it to their best of their ability mm -hmm. so i think that's a an excellent sort of teaching moment for that individual it's like okay this happened to me i'm not going to do that to my students or i'm not going to do that to those that i interact with mm -hmm. and and turn it back around and we want people to be interested in in science i think especially now it's more relevant than ever that we really need a group of people that are that are committed that are dedicated and that are passionate and so we have those students here let's help them get there mm -hmm. no i love that 
And I'm really happy that you got this recognition as uh, Teacher of the Year, too. And I look forward to having you back when you win a – can you win a Nobel Prize, you think, someday? I can try. Maybe just cutting out sleep and, and <laughs> I'll, I'll work on that. Um, no, but I am I'm genuinely um, appreciative of all the support that everyone has – has given has given me and um, I'm humbled that I received the award because I know how many like I said in my speech how many committed faculty we have here and how mm -hmm. dedicated they are to their to their students and their scholarly work and 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 helping students figure out their next steps. Mm -hmm. No, that's great. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. So we have a bunch of new student co-hosts joining us this semester. And the first one to come into the studio is Bianca Wynn. She's a student here and uh, is going to talk about some of the um, events happening on campus. And she is going to do interviews of people on campus and contribute in that way too. Uh, and she's going to tell us a little bit about herself and um, what she does here at WestCon. But first, uh, Bianca, you are a fan of the podcast. Is that right? You've listened before? Yes. Um, I've heard a few episodes that I found really interesting, um, especially the specifically the honors program mm. episode with Jessica Lynn and... Um, Dr. Cook, who mm -hmm. used to be here. Mm -hmm. um, and I also really enjoyed the one about studying abroad with Donna Warner. Mm -hmm. I really thought that was really interesting because that's something I want to pursue, too, in my college career path. So those were very interesting. And I enjoyed every single minute of these podcasts. So That's good. And you uh, got the idea what the student host does because we had one then in those podcasts. Right. So <laughs> I actually found this position through the job post that the school um, informs us about. And I, I mean, I always go on there. They have great jobs for students. And I thought this was going to be a wonderful opportunity to be a part of WCSU and really just get to know more about the faculty and staff and, mm -hmm. you know, dive a little bit deeper into what our school could do, you know. Um, I think the university has a variety of different departments um, that are really cool, such as the University Design and Publications Department. And also um, when we do Election Connection, mm -hmm. I've seen the studio. I think that was so, so cool to see, um, you know, in Higgins Hall when I, you know, first came to Higgins Hall. So I think there's a lot of different things that, you know, WCSU has to offer for students, which I think is just absolutely incredible. Absolutely. I agree with you. The most important question, though, is when you listen to the podcast, who did you think was better, Pete or me? Oh, that's going to be a hard one right there. <laughs> it's not that hard. I love both. You know, I, I love, you know, especially specifically, I love both, right? But I, in general, love when the faculty, um, you know, talks to students. Um, like there was this episode of Donna Warner and she was speaking in there with, I think, a student who had studied abroad. And I actually really thought, you know, the faculty talking to, I mean, to the student was really, really interesting mm -hmm. um, and really kind of let the student describe their story. So I think in general, everyone's great, but I think I have to give 
credits to, you know, the faculty and students specifically. <laughs> You're going to be great at this, Bianca. You're, uh, you know how to navigate this whole thing. Although we can never have Donna Warner back on the show, right, Pete? Yeah, she's uh, she's officially out now. Anybody okay. who's who's favored over you and me can yeah. never come back. That's right. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Bianca, what do you study here? I study currently. Um, I'm actually studying my last um, year with my international studies minor, but mm. originally I had double majored in graphic design and also communication studies. Mm -hmm. So I finished that part, um, but right now I'm just finishing up my minor. So you have a double major that you're finished in mm -hmm. and doing international studies as your minor. Yeah. So do they have anything to do with each other, graphic design and uh, international studies? Well, well, when you when you look at the different majors, you wouldn't think communication and you know graphic design go together. But I was originally um, when I first started college, I just did graphic design as my major. Mm -hmm. And when I did internships, that's when um, I really dived deeply into the marketing field, and I thought hey, communication seems really fitting with graphic design because you do need to know how to communicate ideas in marketing in general. So I thought those two went well together. Mm -hmm. um, I also looked at the marketing major here um, to see if I wanted to market, I mean, to do that marketing major instead of the communication design, um, I mean, communication aspect. So... I was like, eh, I don't really want to do marketing, to be honest, because you had to really um, implement um, finance into your study. I really don't like finance, to be honest, even though I am taking the personal finance course through the honors you program are, yes. right now. <laughs> so um, I, I felt like those two um, really went well together. But for international studies, I wanted to study that because I've, you know, met a lot of international uh, students when I was studying in California, and I actually went to visit them, and I thought, wow, this is a great, wonderful experience to just travel, but when you're meeting people from all paths of life um, in this one country specifically, it's just amazing, mm -hmm. and you can just learn so much, um, you know, mm -hmm. so I thought I would like to learn more about international studies. Um, so currently I'm taking um, courses like the Indigenous Spirituality course through Humanities, and then also I'm taking French. I'm trying to learn. It's, it's pretty difficult, hmm. um, but but yeah. <laughs> no, that's great. I didn't know we had in, uh, Indigenous Spirituality course. That must be interesting. Yeah, it's, it's really interesting, um, you know. And I think, like, one of my friends that I just – recently met online um she actually is studying abroad in america but she is um from an indigenous um you know community community in china hmm. um that's uh called uyghur mm -hmm. she speaks the uyghur language and i was like whoa like before i even talked to her i didn't even know there was indigenous groups like it, it was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So I was like, oh, they have a humanities course. What about I try to implement that into my international studies? And I got approval for it. So it, it's a great class so mm -hmm. far. Yeah. That's great. And you're in the honors program? Yes. Yes, So I you're am. one of the geniuses on campus. Oh, my gosh. I wouldn't really call myself a genius. I'm going to be honest because 
I, I don't know. In high school, I was never in an honors program or hmm. anything, and I I didn't really care to really, I guess, uh, dive deeply into being part of my school, you know. Mm-hmm. But when I came to WCSU, I actually was referred um, to the honors department by my friends. They were talking about it. Hmm. And I was like, huh, this sounds kind of interesting. And I absolutely love being an honors student. Um, you know, because we have so many interesting classes. Like I took this beginner piano course <laughs> and honestly I played piano before, but I didn't know how to read any notes on the paper at all. And I think I learned a few songs and I'm really proud of myself, you know? Um, and then I also took one of my favorite classes was bookmaking with professor David Scora. Um, that was an absolutely fun one. And that also was kind of like a hybrid. Mm -hmm. So it counted towards an art course as well as an honors course. Um, Mm -hmm. so that was really unique, but currently I'm taking personal finance and I highly recommend it because no one teaches you about personal finance in college, like absolutely no one. So, Mm -hmm. and it's important, right? Oh yeah. I'm learning things that I did not know, (laughs) you know, so it's great. And how did you decide to come to WCSU? Right. So I was actually born in Danbury. And Mm -hmm. my sister, um, you know, my oldest sister actually graduated here. Hmm. And I... At the time when I was starting college, um, you know, and throughout my high school days, I was in California and I decided to move back to Connecticut and they had a graphic design program here. Um, So I decided to check it out and do my research. And that's how I decided. I was like, okay, you know, it's close to home and I'm familiar with the area. So I would like to, you know, study here. And I think it's a very good commuter school because it's very close to a lot of the cities in Connecticut. Mm-hmm. So that that's why I ended up choosing here. That's cool. And did you, uh, is the rest of your family in California still or what? Um, my mom and my sister um, still live in California, but my father still lives here. Mm-hmm. So I was able to move back and, you know, yeah, just just live here and commute here. Yeah, that's good. And how do you how did you like the graphic design program? Oh, I love it. Oh. <laughs> I absolutely love it. Um, to be honest, when I was studying graphic design at um, my other university in California, um, they had a graphic arts and graphic design program, but you had to, I guess, apply for graphic art and then submit a portfolio to get into the graphic design program. So it was very competitive, mm-hmm. I guess. And so when I came here and I didn't have to submit a portfolio, I was like, well, this is a way easier school to get into the program. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't understand why in California I had to, like, be competitive with the other students. I was like, whoa, whoa, you know, like, I have competition ahead, you know. Mm-hmm. But when I came here... Um, I love the graphic design program, you know, especially my professors, um, you know, David, David Professor David Scora, as well as Professor um, Ken Scaglia. They're great professors. Um, one thing that stands out to me that not a lot of schools do is actually the uh, portfolio exhibit at mm. the end of the school year. That's when, um, you know, the the upcoming graduating students, um, they showcase their senior uh, portfolio. And I think that's something my other school didn't offer, you know, mm-hmm. and it's a great way to actually 
um, showcase your work to potential, you know, companies that might want to hire you. And also, um, you get to just look at other pieces of art from mm-hmm. students. And sometimes you're looking at it and you're like, wow, that student, like, did that? Like, that's cool, you know? Um so I really like that. And also this university has a university design and publications department. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure if a lot of people know this on campus, but this is the department where, um, you know, the graphic designer and photographer, as well as student workers, they are the ones who design and also print most of the event advertisement. So if you see the lawn signs on campus, um, They printed that most of the time. And also the play posters, most of them are created and designed by the students. Um, And also the graphic designer, Ellen Myhill. Mm -hmm. She's great. And just the photography in general, um, I'm not sure if she still works here, but Peggy Stewart. She does. She absolutely is a great photographer. Mm -hmm. And so I personally wouldn't have known about this department um, unless I was told about it and you know, um, Elise Budnick from the Ansel Commons told me about it. And I got a job and I worked there for a year. And it was probably my favorite, um, you know, job on campus. As a graphic design student that is allowed to do something for the school, like create something, um, I think that it's great to get involved in school, you know. Yeah, that's what you've done. You've worked in the, uh, sounds like the Ansel Commons, the Honors mm-hmm, Program. Yeah. The graphic um, university production design, you're really taking advantage of it. Right. Um, And I think the school has a lot of jobs to offer for students. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I think like throughout my college career, like in the beginning when I first started off as a student, it was really hard for me to get a job um, that related to my field, you Mm -hmm. know. But as I, you know, grew throughout the last few years in my career path, I realized, wow, this school has so many jobs for students that relate to their major. And it's something to really take advantage of because not a lot of companies will hire you if you don't have experience. And the school offers that and they allow students to, you know, even if they're a beginner in that kind of field, they will accept students to work on Canvas. And it's it's a great way to develop, um, you know, professional skill sets. Yes. So what do you want to do with graphic design, communication, and international studies when you graduate? Ooh, I, oh man, I love advertisement. Hmm. I love creating advertisement. Um, But also, like, in general, I love website design. Hmm. I've I've, uh, really, you know, experienced um, with that because... My job right now is graphic designer, but I call, I like to call myself a web designer in that position because I'm more of like a web designer at that job. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do have to create graphic design pieces for my job, um, but something in the marketing field, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think with the international studies department, I just I just love like you know just talking to people from all parts of the world, and you know. Like, I just, you know, would like to implement an international portion in the job I I do, um, either maybe talking to someone from a different country who, you know, uses our company's product or something like that. So mm-hmm. that's what I would like to do. Sounds great. Well, Bianca, you're a, a graphic design made That's one of your majors. And you're going to be our kind of art correspondent on this podcast, yeah. right? Yeah. 
I'm, I'm looking forward to that a lot. How are you going to go about doing that? I think I would like to interview people, um, you know, either maybe a, a, um, a MA master student studying art, or I could potentially interview some of the professors about maybe, you know, how long they've worked here and what they do on campus. But I also want to um, do some discussions about some events mm-hmm. um, relating to art on campus, you know, because I do know the art department has some lectures, um, you know, and some of the professors are hosting these lectures. Um, I've been to a few of them, um, you know, well, especially the pandemic because it was online and they were great. I really enjoyed it. And I think um, a lot of the students might might enjoy it as well. To yeah. talk about that. That's good. Did you take have to take art history here? I actually took art history in my uh, community college. Mm. But, um, yeah, I think it's really interesting. I do, too. I've heard students who say that, you know, that it's hard to sit through all the slides. But if you're into the art, it could be really interesting, right? It is interesting, and it's also difficult. Because sometimes professors, well, my professors that taught me, um, they would post, like, a question on the quiz. You have to indicate the date of the piece and also the artist and I remember when I took a Japanese art history course Mm -hmm. that was so difficult for me because you know I wasn't really familiar with Japanese names and also um, some of these pieces were really really old so Mm -hmm. I kept getting confused between I think BC and CE or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. so that that was kind of confusing so I give props to art history majors because memorizing all these numbers it could be really uh, confusing (laughs) sure and like you say it's across genre and uh, yeah cultures it is. It is. It's really interesting, though. I think uh, I think uh, WCSU doesn't have a variety, like too many mm-hmm. art history courses, but I do think art history in general is something fun to, you know, really study. Yeah, maybe that can be one of your podcasts, How to Make Art History Fun. Yes, yes. Good. All right, Bianca, you did a great job in your first podcast. We love having you here. Thanks for joining us, and we'll have you back on soon, right? We're going to have the other two uh, students on, too, but uh, you will be a regular part of the mix. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me today. See you next time. All right, Pete, so we've kicked off our new semester with some good... Uh, issues and some good talking points. We had our excellent professor, our excellent student co-host today. We had the uh, former governor of Connecticut on already this semester. Did we get the uh, podcast with our artist and our biology professor on yet? (laughs) To be perfectly honest, I can't remember. Oh, (laughs) I'll have to check. When you hear that one, though, it's really good. Yes, that was a really cool one. That that whole thing was really interesting. And it continued the the ongoing saga of uh, Rada and the Cicadas here on at WCSU. So we're going to have to have her back on real soon. That's right. So, Did you mention that because it's a good band name, Rada and the Cicadas? No, but I just I like the way it sounds. But it, it is a good band good. name, yeah. Yes. So 
Uh, has, do we are we sure that that Sharon Guck is coming on to talk about uh, marijuana? No, she's been ignoring me. <gasps> but somebody's going to come on and talk about I marijuana. I was all excited because if, if there was ever a topic that I figured listeners would have something to weigh in on, I figured that would be it. Um, That's it. But so we'll see. Hopefully, we hear back from her, and uh, if not, I'll cut all this out. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll have somebody on. The laws are changing about marijuana in Connecticut. So we want to find out, does that mean that we can all walk around stoned on campus or not? Yeah. You know, look here for the answers. Let's find out. Okay. And I guess that's it for this week. I'm Paul Steinmetz. That's Pete Puccio. And this is At WCSU. At WCSU is a production of WCSU Media, engineered by Peter Puccio and produced by Scott Volpe. Listen and subscribe on Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or anywhere you get your podcasts. And please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at WCSU Media and on the university's Facebook and Twitter pages. And feel free to reach out to us by email at podcasts at WCSU.edu. Thanks for listening.